This is Radio Plasma, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Welcome to Radio Plasma. I'm Johan Rashivega, and we have a session where we're going to talk about interesting and important news about different activities that had to do with the history of Holyoke and the preservation of many of our historical assets. And for that reason, I want to welcome today Olivia Muscle and Bob Kummer who have been involved in many of these preservation activities and a mission of keeping the history of Holyoke alive. So thank you for being here and welcome. Thank You're you. welcome. So we have to start a letter that you shared with us recently, which is really good news to share with the public, particularly for Holyoke, to know that there is support for a project that has been in the works for a couple of years already, the preservation and restoration of the stained glass at City Hall. For Since 2014, I think the first two windows were done, and there was a matching grant from the library and the Mass Historic Commission, 2014, which fast forward up to June 13th, <laughs> 2019, Mike McManus, the superintendent of the Department of Public Works, applied for a grant, the 25th grant for the MPPF fund. It's called Massachusetts Preservation Project Fund. And they come from all over the state. Fortunately, they're familiar with our, state, our project, so this is continuing uh, with three windows that uh, need to be done. And they uh, matched with $55,000. It's uh, not a full match. The CPA Community Preservation Act awarded the um, city $75,000. We asked for $75,000 and we got it with a promised match from Mass Historic. So uh, we didn't get the full $75,000, we got $55,000 of the match. So that's going to go towards um, Michael uh, McManus is going to use all that. And it go towards uh, the three, hopefully the three uh, windows that are in storage right now. And there's also a proposed $50,000 grant from the state, which Aaron Vega's office was able to um, earmark, so which would put us Um, give us like full funding if that if that comes through. So we're very very happy about that. So we've got a lot of support, and we're anxious to. Uh, the problem is uh, because it's the, the um, it's not really a problem, but the um, project has to go out to bid. So uh, you can't automatically go back to the same people who did the other the first two windows. Although I'm sure they'll be in the mix but it has to go out to bid with city regulations and all that. So that I'm, that's on Mike's desk. But at least it shows that the progress of 
the preservation and restoration of the stained glass at City Hall is ongoing and is funded and it continues to have the efforts to have this project completed and, and be able to keep enjoying of this beautiful work of art for future generations to enjoy. Well, they, right now, if you, if you go into the um, ballroom on the second floor, you'll see two windows are done, are, are restored, and then there's uh, three windows that have no stained glass in them. <laughs> And uh, it was suggested by Julie Sloan, the preservation consultant, the city consultant, to take those windows out because they were so delicate and she didn't want, you know, to have any problems, she wanted them to fall and have missing parts. So she recommended that those windows be taken out. And there's, they're crated, they're already crated and stored in City Hall and we're ready for, um, transportation to the new to the new um, whoever gets the bid to do the windows knowing that bob is an expert on the details of the history of many things in holyoke buildings locations how old are these stained glasses well the stained glasses were put in um original to yeah, the, the original building so they're about 1871 they started the building mm -hmm. and it's extremely old and it's about time that they, they do this. You don't want to lose this work. So definitely it's a really exciting moment to have receiving this, this information, knowing that now the Massachusetts Historical Commission is granting this funding to continue the preservation and restoration of the stained glasses at City Hall. So this is good news and certainly something that is good to celebrate and to think that it was a year ago, to be exact, on 4th of July 2018, when we saw also the clock oh, to be yes. put back to yes. work. Beautiful experience. I was fortunate to be there uh -huh. at the moment where David Cotton put back to work the clock at the midnight of 4th of July 2018. and. It was a powerful moment to see this clock coming back to life after a long process of restoration and taking care of every little detail of this machinery, but at the same time, a piece of art yes. that is this whole mechanism in such a big structure like City Hall. Well, you, you spoke to Dave, David Cotton, who repaired the clock. Right? Yes. yes. During yes. during the during that process the, yes. before. Yeah. <clears throat> so I brought this picture here of him doing. We have him scheduled to do a tour in October. So God willing, he's he's available because uh, this isn't his uh, clock it repairs in his main job. He's a forester. <laughs> so um, and he helps with all other kinds of situations too. So we got this picture from um, originally, you know, Ken Lefave. Yes. yes, yes. He found, he f started us on this um, journey to get the clock fixed. And he researched and found the movement, what kind of movement it was. And also we found out that the original clock face was were black with gold lettering. And the populace complained about it because they couldn't tell what time it was. 
they couldn't see from the distance. It's like 225 feet up from the sidewalk. So, I mean, so uh, the black faces were changed to this milk, Belgian milk white that they are now. So the clock is original to the building too, I think. I'll have to check my notes on that, as well as the bell. Now, we have a question to ask you. Ken is looking for the sound of the bell. Do you, he asked me if I knew anybody, so I'm putting the word out. We're looking to see if anyone recorded the last time the bell rang in City Hall. So. And the sound of it, right? The sound of it, yeah. Apparently it was, it rang during Mayor Dunn's inauguration and before him it was Mayor Prue. So that goes back to the 70s in there. So, and I don't, just for your information, for you could find the sound of the bell. And even I said, Ken, so what kind of, what about the foundry? Did we, did we, can we go back to the foundry? He says, they're, they're gone. They're not in existence anymore. So that's another project that the uh, Friends of City Hall are, is working on, is to help restore the, keep the um, stained glass windows, keep going forward on the stained glass windows, keep moving forward and keeping the clock intact and uh, maintained, and also trying to work on the frame of the bell. The bell needs a new frame, so... Um, we were wondering how we're going to get the bell. How do you how do you get that bell out of the tower and repair the? Bell? It's not the bell. It's the frame that that the bell is in that needs repair. So, but for that you need to remove the bell temporarily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember David mentioned to me that uh, the mechanism for for the bell needs a whole process of restoring, which is another big project to yes, to yes. take care of, and. I remember when the clock was put back to work on 4th of July, 2018, he manually oh. made the bell sound at midnight. Oh, really? So at least we have that sound oh, okay. manually, manually generated. But thinking about the last time the clock and the bell worked by itself, so we're talking about uh, 40 years, mm -hmm. more than 40 years mm -hmm. ago. It will be interesting to see if there is any archive or anybody who might have some audio of it. Mm. Video, I yep. will think it will be really hard because it will be possibly just film if someone got uh, to actually capture it purposely or by accident. But audio, who maybe, knows? Maybe during a St. Patrick's Day parade, in the background, maybe someone can catch that sound, and maybe have someone has the tapes. It will be interesting to see if someone yeah, has you that. You never know what's out there. Yeah, <laughs> so let us know, and definitely it will be a beautiful work of recovering some history through sound. Right. But at least we have that sound, and and I will I will provide a sample of it on this. Oh, okay. So we can, we oh, can enjoy good, at good, least good. the one that we got the chance Did to hear a year ago. So I'm going to run down and ring the bell yes. so that everybody can Let's hear it. See that. So now we are coming down and in a moment we will be listening the bell in the Holyoke City Hall Tower. 
waking up, <laughs> announcing the beginning of Independence Day of 2018. What a significant moment. Yeah, it's wonderful. The bell is, has a, a wonderful sound to it. Yeah, it's a 4,000 pound bronze bell, and uh, even though it's in disrepair, it still has nice harmonics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if Ken knows that. We'll have to, he'll, I'm sure we'll let him know. <laughs> so, this tour of the clock is scheduled to happen on October 19. Uh -huh. At 10 a.m., it will be a two-hour tour uh, of the tower. And all the information for this tour is available at Eventbrite. And we are going to make this information also available okay. with the posting okay. of, of this conversation. So that way, whoever is interested on touring the tower at City Hall can have a very unique insight of the most iconic building in our city, this is a perfect opportunity to enjoy of it. It's a work to get upstairs. There are four flights, four levels, I should say. They've been maintained, but they also, you have to be careful where you walk, you know. You have to sign a release, because the doors, you, the tower's locked all the time. It's locked, so only maintenance people go up there. You can go to the tippy top and take pictures, too, if, if, it, if it's a good day, it's a good clear day, so. The morning uh, session, it, there's a fee for $30 uh, for anybody over 17. And uh, the afternoon session is a special session with Dave, and that's a $100 donation. And what happens with, those, with the donation, and it goes to the uh, Friends of City Hall, it goes into that fund so we can start working on the bell and other things and the stained glass windows. So there's, there's a lot to be done. There's lots of projects to be done there. So whatever, um, the, uh, the morning is a, is a $30 donation. So a lot of people come to that. So definitely one opportunity to see the tower, the clock, learn a little bit of history of Holyoke, and at the same time to help and support the efforts to continue the preservation and restoration of this valuable assets for the city. But this is just one of many activities that you are working on. And Bob, you have been doing for several years now the tours around the city. Yes, I've been giving tours for five years now. And this year I have six tours. I made them so in the spring I, have, I had three tours. And they were all, three of them were cemetery tours. The first one was at Calvary and Elmwood Cemetery. And we had about 25 people show up, which surprised us. 
it turned out a lot of the Irish uh, ethnic citizens of Holyoke wanted to learn about where their grandparents were buried. Then we, two weeks later after that, we had St. Jerome's Cemetery tour. And again, 25 people showed up. Some were repeats, but some new, and that, that made us very happy. And on that tour, I concentrated a lot on the priests, the Catholic priests of Holyoke. Um, and we visited a lot of their graves. And then the last one in the spring was the Smith's Ferry Cemetery, which is in the northern part of Holyoke. And that one is a very small cemetery. It's Protestant citizens. They're, they're, most of them are Northampton citizens, but there's a few people from Holyoke buried there. And that was a lot of research. <laughs> the first two I had looked at a lot when I did family trees for my nephews and nieces, but the last one I had to put a lot of effort into it. It was a very complex cemetery. This fall, I have three more tours. There's going to be a new one this year called the Ashley Pond Reservoir Tour. It's going to be Saturday, September 14th, start at 10 a.m. and end uh, 20 minutes past noon. And it's going to be starting at the Elks Club. And it's going to be a four-mile trek around the, the two large reservoirs that make up Ashley Reservoir. We're hoping to get people that are very interested, but also want to walk a lot and see the scenery. It turns out the Ashley Reservoir is the center of all reservoir activity in Holyoke. The Southampton Reservoir, the McLean Reservoir, both lead into the Ashley Reservoir. And I didn't know that ahead of time. So when I started research, I said, oh, this is going to be like last year when I researched the Whiting Street Reservoir. I put about 35 hours into that. Well, so far this year, I put 100 hours into the Ashley Reservoir. And I just finished it yesterday, finally. I looked at the last of the report, and I'm glad it's over. But, but 100 hours of research it took. And, but now I understand the reservoir, and I'm waiting to give that tour. And then the fifth one this year is going to be the Whiting Street Reservoir Tour. It'll happen Saturday, October 12th, start at 10 a.m. and end 20 minutes past noon. And we're going to meet right at the top of Mountain Park Access Road. And this is a repeat of last year's tour. Last year we had about 25 people showed up. I actually gave two tours that day, one walk and the other bike. And this one's going to be one tour together. You can either walk it or bike it. And it's going to be four miles again. And I love giving tours around this because this was my cross-country course when I was in high school. And last year my former coach had been, um, well, we have given him a big party and we gave him lots of awards, but we also had for him a plaque on a stone out at the Whiting Street Reservoir. The Holy Water Works had agreed to this project and we put a big stone up for him with all his championships that he had won and we gave a portrait of him. And that tour last year had five of my teammates show up, so I was very happy. But uh, this year is going to be slightly different. We're going in reverse direction, and there'll be even more information because I, I have filled it out with more uh, information. The last tour, though, is the one I've been given now for four years. It's the Holyoke Canal System bus tour. That's going to happen on Saturday, November 9th. It'll start at 1 p.m. and end at 4 p.m. I'm told that most of the bus slots are, are filled up. There might be a few more. But that one's going to go around the three levels of the Holyoke Canal system. We're, we're going to stop about five places. This year I'm going to concentrate on the very oldest places. I can tell you three of them right now. One's going to be Pulaski Park so we can look down into the canal. 
Another one will probably be where Open Square was, and that was the former Lyman Mill. And then the third one I, I hope to be where the Hadley Falls workers were housed. We'll walk around that section. And that was made in, in 1848, so it was an extremely old part of Holyoke. Um, I also give non-public tours. I give tours to high school students. I've done that three times this year. I'm going to give one to the Kestrel Land Trust of Amherst. Last year I gave them two tours of the canal. This year they already asked for one, and they said it was a very popular tour. So, I, you know, I'm booked up with all the tours, but it's a great fun for me. I like doing this as a hobby, too. And also I'm so glad to see that the reception of this work of doing the tours is becoming something that people is really looking forward to it, utilizing this opportunity to enjoy the city, walk, and now even bike on some of those activities. But the most important part to appreciate and learn from your knowledge and have a better understanding of what is the purpose of some of the buildings or some of the structures of the places that we see. And sometimes we just see it and maybe we wonder, hmm, what was for? <laughs> and we always try to improve our tours. And this year, Olivia's going to talk about this, the Smith's Ferry Cemetery has gotten a grant also. And it shows that Smith's Ferry has improved in the last three years because a small group of us go out there about four times a year, and we actually clean the stones as best we can. We have a special chemical that helps us clean. And if you ever go by there, and compare it to what it was three years ago, it's a great improvement. The stone are, stones are cleaner, whiter, and the whole appearance of the cemetery is much better. But, and it's going to improve even more this year because the Community Preservation Act Committee has awarded Olivia a grant for that cemetery. Right. So that grant is going towards a historic grave, graveyard services. Uh, a lady who has taught us how to do, we, we didn't have a clue, so we had to go to professional. And uh, Tamara Conte is the lady who uh, gave the city a workshop. So what she does, she's programmed to come in uh, July, this July or August, Not it, the dates are unsure right now. But uh, so she's going to put the broken stones. She's going to do the heavy lifting on this one. <laughs> we, cl we know how to clean, but she's, she brings her tripod in over her shoulder, pulls it in, sets it all up. She's a one-woman show. She says, this is how you do it. And she's got all the, all the equipment for it. So plus the epoxy and the different kinds of materials that uh, set the, reset the stones. So that there's 10 stones approximately that are broken or fallen, you know, need to be put back or reset. So that's going to be great. We'll, we'll have plenty of pictures and post that on uh, the website on uh, Facebook. We were thankful to the Community Preservation Committee that um, awarded us a grant for it's approximately $5,000 for that. And uh, it'll, she'll probably take a week to two weeks, depending on the weather. I don't know how epoxy dries, if it's you know, real humid like, like it is today, or rainy or things. So she's a difficult lady to get because she's all over the country. She, she works all over the country and outside of the country to, uh, for workshops. 
but she's originally from uh, New Salem, Massachusetts, so it's right up the road. And then after we finish with um, Smith's Ferry, then we'll move towards probably Rock Valley. Uh, that's a city-owned uh, cemetery. And uh, another older cemetery is Elmwood. It's the oldest cemetery in the city. It's maintained by uh, Forestdale. They're able to keep up the maintenance, whereas the city has some difficulty with all their other uh, projects they have. So we'll be working on uh, keeping an eye on Smith's Ferry, then working towards uh, Rock Valley. And there's a gentleman called uh, um, Earl Brick, who's um, actually a descendant of the Ludington family who's buried there in Rock Valley. So we check in with Earl all the time. It's like, what do you need, Earl? So, so he's, very, he's very protective of that and, because his ancestors are there. That will happen in the fall, probably in the in following in the spring, and we'll just keep going. <laughs> in the year 2020, I'm going to have more tours, and I actually told Olivia, can you do one of our cemetery cleanups at the Rock Valley Cemetery? And she agreed. And because I, in the year 2020, I want to have two cemetery tours more, and one will be at the Rock Valley. And I told her it's not clean enough. Um, some of the stones are really, and I, I have to see some of these to figure out w the history of it. And no one's really taken sh really sharp care of it in a long time. And the other tour I want to do next year is Forest Hill Cemetery. So I, I keep adding new tours every year, repeat the most popular ones. And, and next year I want to do a couple park tours also. So, so get people really involved. They seem to like the ones that have to do with water our parks the most. You also did a tour, uh, the Veterans uh, Park tour. We went around uh, the uh, St. Jerome's and church and uh, Holyoke Catholic, the Holy Catholic area where Providence Hospital used to be. It was, uh, it was all this very thickly settled area. Bob's very good at describing and uh, giving a lot of details. He does his research, that's for sure. <laughs> well, she mentioned three years ago I gave the St. Jerome's church campus tour. And I'm actually going to do that one next year, 2020, but I'm going to do it from the point of view of Veterans Park. So stay around Veterans Park, but point out things that are around the perimeter of it. And so she read my mind, because she knows, she knows a little how I think. And I also want to do one around the Holy Public Library, but point it outwards. So you're not going to go in the library, but point out towards the perimeter. The Masonic Temple is around it. There's a former churches around it, one burned down, but there's still two around it. And I want to talk about those. Most people don't know what, what these things were. And it's, it's good to get people involved and give details. And also thinking about, particularly on the library, the way it is laid out, the face towards Maple Street showing the classical and original structure, and then the one facing Chestnut being the new and modern and how they connect. And at some point, they are connected, but they don't touch each other. So it is an, a really interesting design and way to put different generations of a same building. Yes, I think they did a good job on the building. Some people would have preferred to keep the old building and refurbish inside. I think they did a good job. Um, Olivia has one more grant she won through CPA, and I hope she mentions it. It's something about a lantern. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, before we go to the lantern, I want to mention one other tour that we had in the springtime from a forester oh, yeah. named Tom Cass, who uh, did a tree tour around the city. It was very well attended. Actually, uh, he was booked up uh, within two weeks. People just uh, called right away. So he's planning, we're going to talk him into uh, doing it again in the fall so he can cover maybe the same trees or a new. Uh, there were about six or eight trees that, that yes. he discussed. And he went into the scientific names and uh, a lot of information that he knows all about. He's a regular job as forester and um, consultant, tree consultant. So he's in town, and that's his thing. He loves, knows all about the trees. So we tap. A, it's it's great to tap on people who who have a project or an interest, and we go with it. He also gave an in library presentation this year on the golf courses of Hoyle. And it turns out there's three, there's used to be three golf courses in Hoyle. Now there's two. Both of those two that are still here started off being in the city of Northampton, but we gained it through a land acquisition in 1909. And he talked about all those golf courses. So slowly between Tom Cass and I, we're covering most of Hoyle. It'll take us 100 years, but we can do it. <laughs> So, Olivia, tell us a little about the lantern. The lantern, project. okay. Well, if you uh, go out the, the side door of the city hall and walk into the annex, the annex is a building that used to house the uh, Holyoke Police Department. That's a whole other tour we can give <laughs> one of these days. The annex is built like a fort because there are cells in there, two levels of cells, males on one side, females on the, on, on the other side, and all kinds of back stairways and ways that it's a tour. It's, people have gone over there for Halloween kind of things, so, and there was an art uh, display there at one time, but, but it has to be uh, set up. So, but, but in the meantime, there's a side door on the annex that had two lanterns, uh, high up, original to the building, and there's another two lanterns on the other side that faces the the courthouse. So those are the exact lanterns that match the city hall lanterns. Well, somehow one lantern was gone, been missing for who knows how long. So we inquired... Um, about the, from the custodians or from the DPW, did you have a lantern? It looks like that anywhere. What, what happened to it? Did it? Nobody knew. Nobody knew anything about this missing lantern. At that time, um, Bill Fuqua was the uh, department chair, so he said, Bill. And at that time, Dean Tech was, had a metal shop. And so I so approached uh, Mr. Fuqua and said, any way we could get De Dean Tech students to replicate and make a copy of the lanterns that there, that, was, that we have a sample of, and they replicate and put the two lanterns back um, in the wall. The holes are still there in the wall. And actually, they're closed now, but at one point there were families of birds going in and out you know, 
And also they use the lanterns for their, for their nests too. So there are all kinds of uh, debris and stuff in there. So anyway, uh, Mr. Fuqua said, sure, after some prodding. Uh, long story short, Mr. Fuqua left, Dean Tech shop closed. Uh, there was a lantern that was deconstructed in a box in the, at Dean. And so the principal at Dean said, I called him, I said, you probably don't know this, but you have a lantern from uh, the annex. And he says, you know where it is? I says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come show you. Uh, and since the shop is at that time was closing, I could pick up the lantern and, and go to phase plan B. So he said, sure, come on over, come and get it. So it's this small box. We did find a private blacksmith to work on, the, agreed to work on the lantern, and we applied for a grant from the Community Preservation Act. So he's Camille Peters, who is uh, in Diesel Works, has it, um, and he's replicated it. So it's not ready to go up yet, but it's in the works. So it's going to be a, a similar type um, lantern that, w that, that was there before. It's not the original, but it, it will look like the original. And also we have uh, Westside Finishing, which is a, um, a business in the behind Morgan School. Uh, they agreed to powder coat it at no cost. So it's kind of a community effort to go, so we'll also take pictures of that and make sure that that gets um, some uh, press and some Kodak moments when, when those go back on the building. And also thinking, like you mentioned, Olivia, the, the fact that it's community, chipping to make this project to work and knowing Camille's work, he's a master in this. And to recognize that having local talent doing this work for the benefit of the city and having that lantern being replaced. And yeah, it could be a replica, but made with the care of make the whole restructuring to look seamless. And that's, that's a beautiful work of putting the history in display. And at the same time, with the touch of the modern and the contemporary generations doing all the effort to keep the history alive. So this is, this is amazing. This is fascinating to know how much history do we have and that the efforts to continue preserving this history and educating our current generation and future generations on what this history means and how does reflect in our current times is another way to keep educating our own whole community about what it means to live in a city so innovative and so unique like Holyoke. And there's also one more thing that you have uh, that I didn't know about, which is the, the History Camp. The History Camp is a great program that comes from the uh, Pioneer Valley Historical Network. And it's a day-long conference that is held at the Kittredge Center at the Holyoke Community uh, College on Saturday, July 27th. And you have to register to, I think it's a $25 cost, which includes lunch, which you said in the, um, also there's a lot of networking going on. So there's people who uh, set tables up around in the room. 
and you can uh, sometimes there's presentations going on during lunch, sometimes not. There's presentations can be like 40 to 45 to 50 minutes long, and they cover a range of of everything. It's not just local. It's not it, actually in the past. It wasn't even really Holyoke local history. It was history in the Pioneer Valley. A gentleman uh, who used to teach in Sturbridge Village, he brought his presentation of, of early American shoes, pies, early American pie recipes. I mean, it was just goes, it goes from fruit to nuts. So it's fun. It's worth going. You don't have to stay. If you, if you, you pick a couple of sessions you want to go to, and um, you can come and go as you please. So uh, you can contact us um, HolyoakePreservationTrust.org. We can give you some information or Bob Como. So thank you so much for inviting us and, and we're looking forward to, uh, to more tours and more history. Thank you so much for being here today and for all this work that you put, providing the city with so many options to learn, to be part of the restoration and preservation of the history and this is just a, a way to show that commitment and that love for history that, like you said, Olivia, is, is fun. It's Som fun. Sometimes yes. we think history as something that might be boring or uninteresting and actually so much fun in it to discover and rediscover and to realize how much we are connected to it. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. Good. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being here. Bob and Olivia and the invitation uh, remains open for you to come back at any time okay. should you have any more information and activities to share with the public. Okay, thank you. So this is our conversation with Olivia Mosel and Bob Como. And this session has been recorded here in the studio of New England Media Lab inside Gateway City Arts in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm Johan Rashi Vega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>